Director of Education Policy and Studies at the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm Pedro Nogueira, Dean of the USC Washington School of Education. Welcome to our podcast, Common Ground, Conversations in Schooling. Two of us often fall on different sides of the big questions in education, but today we're going to talk through some of the educational issues of the day in search for deeper understanding and sometimes common ground. Today is our last episode before our summer hiatus, so we thought we might and a year which has been anything but light, on a lighter note. I thought we might talk a little bit about education and mass culture, education in the media, movies, TV shows, some of what the ones we love, hopefully maybe encouraging listeners to go check a couple of things out they might have never heard of or that might predate them because Pedro and I are old enough that some of our favorites are probably like last century, but also uh, a chance just to think about that relationship. Uh, between schools and education and culture, uh, which looms so large in our day-to-day. Pedro. Yeah, I, you know, I love to watch um, uh, movies and, and education movies, I think, um, really can, when they're done well, help the public to understand what's going on in our schools. And obviously, my favorite all-time is Stand and Deliver. For the viewers who haven't seen it, what, what I love about it is, well, two things. One, it's a true story based on the work of um, the great teacher, uh, I'll think of his name in a second. Jaime Escalante. Jaime Escalante, the Bolivian engineer who becomes a math teacher at Garfield High. And his work in getting kids from East L.A., poor kids, Latino kids, to pass and excel in calculus and he did this for almost 20 years and you know of course they accused him of cheating at first because they didn't think it was possible and then when the kids got retested they start to try to understand what he was doing and you know he he referred to cultivating ganas in kids which is another way of talking about grit right the desire to learn hunger to learn he got him to work hard and I met one of his former students. Uh, she's now the only Latina who works at Boeing in Southern California. She's an engineer. We were working on a Saturday as volunteers for robotics competition. And she told me, everything you ever hear about Escalante is true. He was dedicated. He pushed us. She said, he used to come to my soccer game. And he said, I said, he came to your games to cheer you on? He said, not to cheer me on. He told me, I stink at soccer. I need to go back to math. And I'm so glad I did because that's why I'm an engineer. And so, you know, it, it's, it's such an impressive film. I don't know if you got to see that one, Rick, but it's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, no, I love it. Actually, there were two movies I used to watch back when I talked way long ago, uh, the night before the first night of school. One was Stand and Deliver. The other was Teachers, uh, this Nick Nolte, Ralph Macchio vehicle. You know, it's funny. And like both of them, one of the things that always happens, when you think education in the movies, the, the way in which you have to bend it to fit kind of the narrative arc of movies strips out so much of the reality of how we learn. You know, there's two moments in Standard Deliver that I always kind of fixate on. One is there's a moment in the middle of the movie when Escalante uh, is feeling defeated. Uh, he's about to give up. He's taking grief from the administration. The students aren't getting it. And then he comes out to the parking lot and his car is gone. And he's like, and you just see in his eyes that he looks like he's about to quit. Like his wife's giving him grief. 
And then they pull up and they like retold his ride. They like, oh, right, right, like right. and he's like, hey, these kids do appreciate me. But like, it doesn't always work that way. And especially not like on the timeline when you need it. And I'm like, oh, he's like, so what happens if you're doing this and the kids you're working with aren't feeling it? And like, yeah. how do you, how do you keep going? And then the second thing is always, you know, your point that the, you know, they doubt him, they accuse him of cheating. But of course, what doesn't get told in the Hollywood versions, does it make sense, is a lot of the students that Escalante they work with didn't actually make it through, much less make it through the exam. Like, one of the things he built was a program that was hugely transformative, right. but only for, only for those students for whom it was the right fit. Yeah. And... You would never know that from watching the movie. In the movie, it looks like he shows up, he takes these kids, you know, who need remedial math, and he walks them all through to Calc BC over four years. And there's none of this part that this is always about a handshake between families and students who choose to grasp his hand and those who didn't. And That's true. That's true. And I think, um, you know, the truth is, you know, when he, he got him to come in on Saturdays, work in the summer... And not everybody wants to do that, you know. It, it was there was no shortcuts, there were no gimmicks, hard work, and um, but also a change in their beliefs about what they could do. And I think that's what he, that's what the film captures pretty well. Totally, and, and you know, and, and that's where I, and that's where I get like conflicted because about how how do people who you know they 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 they're watching this and it's kind of shaping their notion of a good teacher, like. Is it that a good teacher is able to like show up in remedial math, and if you're dynamic enough and passionate enough, you'll drag them all through to Calc BC, and they'll all want to give up summer vacation? Uh, or like, what? What? How are we understanding in kind of the popular culture, like what it's fair to expect of teachers and what we should expect of kids? Well, that that's true. That and and I think that part gets lost, and none of the films that we're going to talk about. We, we, uh, the other one we, we mentioned was To Sew With Love. And I, I thought of that one because Sidney Poitier just died a few months ago. And, you know, he was this tremendous actor in one of his first movies. He depicts this teacher teaching in a, a working class community in London. And he's a black man, um, an immigrant, teaching these white kids. And uh, they're not, you know, they're not interested in learning and they're not interested in learning from him as a black man. And, and what, what happens over the course of the film is he, dis, he realizes, you know, he's, trying, he's not really preparing them for tests, he's preparing them for life as adults. And those are the lessons they need to learn. And they start to realize, oh, we can learn from this guy. And it, so it's, it's very powerful uh, as a film. And it's probably one of the first, or the really early um, types of films that depict the classroom as a drama. Totally. No, right? Like Blackboard Jungle and uh, Up the Downstairs. When I was getting my uh, teacher credential at Harvard, uh, Harvard's teaching program back, you know, in 1989, 1990, John Amir, who used to run that program, uh, there was a week in like the summer module when we watched the movie and said, talk about it. And to Sir uh, and Blackboard Jungle and uh, uh, you Up the Downstairs case were three of them. No, and, you know, and, and I think you know, it's funny because, like, Top Gun Maverick just came out. <laughs> and you wonder, like, especially, like, back in the 80s, in the Reagan era, like, how many people wanted to be naval avi aviators because they saw Top Gun and, like, right? You talk to people who are pilots and you're like, is it really like that? And they roll their eyes at you. But I don't know. 
Like, if you were a teenager, you were like, this looks awesome. Is this what it's like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, part of it, it's, you, you think, you know, you're talking about the, the, the plot for um, Pursuit of Love, right? I mean, it's such a recurring theme, it strikes me as you're saying that. That, like, Dead Poet Society, fish out of water. You, you know, a stand and deliver, fish out of water. Uh, to sort of love fish out, like, there, there, somebody comes from, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer in the, uh, the writer's one. Right, right. You know, all of these, you know, one of the things that I always liked about Teachers, which was total 80s movie schlock, like 79, 80, you know, it was that Nick Nolte was a burnout. That, you know, that, that the teacher here at the center of this was a guy who had given up. That he and Judd Hirsch, who was then, like, famous for Taxi, had started together. Judd Hirsch had become a, uh, an assistant principal and just part of the establishment. And Nick Nolte had become, turned into this burned out social studies teacher who would just kind of read disorganized conversations. And the movies about Nick Nolte, not like bringing his gifts to the students and seeing it through, but about him like rediscovering uh, the idea that like his work was important and that like being a teacher mattered. I mean, it's so cheesy and so schlocky. And the whole movie's around this, like, lawsuit, a kid suing because he graduated but never learned to read, and who's really culpable. But this whole idea of, like, understanding that teachers can get exhausted by it all, and that that's normal, and that, like, not just, not making him the villain, but making his story the arc, I, I just always found that really, really profound. Yeah, yeah. And and it, it, it is, I think, a sympathetic portrayal of the hard work of teaching and, and how people can burn out from it because it's so draining. And, uh, and right. And especially right when the fights don't seem important, exactly. uh, you, you know, which is, you know, that's like one of the things, right. When you think about like stand and deliver, uh, or you think about like coach Carter, which yeah. uh, our friend, Andy, Andy Rotherham, what's called, I think the first post NCOB movie, <laughs> you, you know, so many of the fights that these, that, that the heroes go through, are trivial and bureaucratic, and it's people don't believe in them. And that part feels really true to life. Yeah. But here's a, another one we talked about on our list, Remember the Titans. And um, that's a great one, because it's also based on a true story, the story of T.C. Williams High School and their first attempt at integrating the school and using the football team as a way to do it. But this is a real case where what's at stake really does matter uh, very profoundly for these communities. And... Uh, it's, it's a very inspiring film. It's, it's very Hollywood, but um, I, I enjoy it. I, that's one of the ones I can watch over and over. Well, and it's interesting, too, right? Because there's the, well, especially, I think, right, the, the black coach becomes the head coach, and the white right. head coach becomes, becomes the assistant. And, you know, it, 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 there's such a sense, right? I mean, Hollywood, not, not, not of late, it feels like. But historically, it does a sense that, like, look, people of goodwill can, like, suffer, you know, can fight their pride and step back and find ways to do the right thing and grow. And it is such, like, it's such a more heartening message than the way I feel like we talk a lot about this in kind of the workshops today. It's funny, uh, T.C. Williams is down the road. Um, you, I, you know, I, I remember you old, been to the school? Yeah, yeah, in fact. On the old football field, they rebuilt the campus a few years ago, but we used to live about two miles from it in Alexandria. And I think for one of the jackets of the book or for a photo spread, uh, they did some shots of me like on the old field, which was really cool because, you know, I mean, for me, I always talked about sports before um, occasionally in the podcast. And, and, you know, for me, football, especially nowadays, gets so much grief 
from folks who think, you know, who have problems with it. Um, but I tend to think it is such a powerful kind of activity for forming character. You know, another, there was the movie Friday Night Lights with Billy Bob Thornton made out of the novel, but then also that five-year kind of TV show starring Kyle Chandler. Yeah. And, you know, the seasons of that TV show were up and down, but there's, there's whole chunks of that. Um, him talking to kids, the relationships that got forged, him, him in the final season, uh, learning to put his wife's career on equal footing with his own, and again, making sacrifices that are, you know, seem to me the, the kinds of coaching and pedagogy and self-realization that like I would love to see in the most enlightened of classrooms. And somehow it's like easier a lot of times to imagine them happening in the locker room or on fields just because of the nature of the relationship. And I think what, what several of these films, and I think particularly learning that, uh, um, remember the Titans does, is it shows us how school becomes a place where society is, is the issues in the society are being acted out. You know, the conflict about race and integration uh, was playing out in the, through, the, through, the, through the football team and through this uh, team coming together as a team. Uh, it's so sad that that is not true right now in this country, that we don't have more examples like this. But, um, you know, I, I think about the way, the fact that film and TV can sometimes help the public think, work through issues constructively. Um, I don't know if you've seen this new one yet called uh, Abbott Elementary. It's on uh, Netflix. It's a, a series and it's a comedy uh, set in Philly, and at first I, I, I was a little troubled by it because I thought you're making a comedy out of kids who are getting a really shitty education, excuse me, in uh, you know an under-resourced school. And but my daughter loved it, so we stuck with it. And I started. First of all, it's funny as hell, and second of all, um, it, it 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 does expose the inequities really profoundly. And it shows how many people are involved, including the principal, who's a, a, a crazy character, but also the district and, and beyond. And uh, so I've, I've, I've come to appreciate that, too, as a way of kind of, again, illuminating the issues. Well, you know, I mean, humor, that's the thing, right? Like, humor is so important in making sense, especially when we're talking about, like, kids and schools. And, I mean, so much of, you know, you think back to, you know, times, I mean, Times all kinds of stuff. Times when like something was important or weird or sad. I mean, there's a whole level of humor a lot of times. It overlays black humor or kind of like belly laughs or whatever. And, you, you know, the things that get this right kind of own that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things about a Puritan culture. It feels like we're in a very Puritan moment right now. Yeah. And when you're out there trying to talk to children, I mean, students and teachers, and parents, and you're trying to do it very like, you know, never allow a light throat to the light thought to creep in, and you know, very so. I like this is just not how family the family life goes day to day. It's not how classrooms look day to day. It feels weirdly kind of removed from how real people kind of experience schooling. But you know. I mean, we were we we postponed this episode because the school shootings that happened in Uvalde, and and the truth is, right now there are a lot of parents and kids who are tense, worried about. I mean, I you know when I was a kid, we didn't do uh, practice active shooter drills at school. 
we practiced um, um, uh, with a nuclear weapon drills where we would sit and go underneath our desk, which was probably just as crazy in a lot of ways. But the fear that's um, affecting people is really undermining, you know, the joy that you would as hope that kids would experience in school too. Well, and, you know, and I mean, this, again, this just goes back to this culture thing. Um, and I mean, is this, I mean, you know, is this a thing about adults fetishizing fear? I mean, you and I talked kind of all, you know, not on the podcast about Uvalde. I mean, we've both got young children. We're both, it's unimaginable. It's appalling. We're both in favor of, you know, a lot of measures to restrict guns or what have you. Uh, but at the same time, you know, statistically over the last 25 years, children were more likely to die in swimming pool accidents than they were from shootings at school. So uh, it, not in any way, shape, or form to minimize the horror of this, but are we, you know, teaching seven-year-olds to get under their desks to elude active shooters uh, when parents are, you know, scaring kids about this? Is this a culture that's protecting kids or is this a culture which is about parents wrestling with their own mental health issues at the expense of kids. Yeah. And, and, you know, my concern is that as fear grows, then people retreat further. And, um, you know, we saw during the pandemic the negative consequences of the isolation. And uh, we want, kids need to be in school. They need to be in the company of other children and they need to be taught in person by teachers. But we do need to find a way to address the, the fears of parents, you know, Ironically, the people who are most afraid are statistically least likely to be a victim of violence, right? right. Uh, and, um, but fear has nothing to do with statistics. It has to do with, it's, it's not rational. It works at a different level. And uh, I think part of the reason why some people want guns is because they're afraid. They think mm -hmm. they, it's, they'll, they'll be safer if they have an arsenal of machine guns at home. Um, it's kind of bizarre because you look, they're more likely to kill someone they know, including themselves, then they are an intruder, but in their mind, they think uh, this is what's going to protect me. So um, how, how about um, uh, one more uh, film? There's, um, I don't know if you saw this one, Half Nelson, um, but it's the first Ryan Gosling movie, uh, and he plays, it's an independent film, and he plays uh, a teacher in, uh, teaching at an inner city school, but the teacher, he has a drug habit. He's uh, smoking crack, and one of his kids finds out about it. And so they form a bond based on the secret. And again, it's dealing with teachers not as heroes, but as humans who have flaws and weaknesses, but he's still heroic in certain ways in the way he comes through for his student, despite being a drug addict. And uh, so it's, it's problematic uh, in so many ways, but it's raw. And, and it captures something that I think is important about the lives of teachers, that teachers are people. Teachers have huge challenges in their lives. And uh, I think about that now as so many teachers are struggling with their own mental health challenges, questioning whether or not this job is worth it, given the pressures they're under. And uh, it's becoming, I know as a dean, harder and harder to convince young people to think of teaching as a profession because it's such a hard job. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I, I, I've got to catch it. I can't believe I missed it. I like Ryan Gosling, too. You, you know, another one to throw out here is, um, you know, a movie that's widely beloved um, is Dead Poets Society. Yeah. And I'm a huge Robin Williams fan. 
And I got to tell you, I was never a big fan of this film. Uh, <laughs> because, and it's weird because, I, I, you know me, I'm not a real good with rules. So I kind of, but Robin Williams in that movie felt to me like a leech. He went into a school where everybody else had built a culture of respect and shared burdens and norms. And he didn't come in and say, all right, like, here's how we keep what works here. And here's how we, here's. instead, it was like, all right, well, you guys keep everything under control and I'm going to just subvert. And the consequences are your problem. And there felt, as much as I love Robin Williams and loved his riffs and wanted to kind of cheer for him, there was something that felt ultimately kind of uh, self-serving uh, uh, about that role. I don't know if you've got a different reaction. No, no, I, I think I, I liked the role and I liked what he did. I liked, because what he was cultivating was a passion for learning in those students that, that was not based on simply getting good grades. And I, that, that moved me because I, I think that's what's missing in a lot of schools, whether it be elite private schools like the one depicted in the film or regular public schools, is that we don't spend enough time cultivating a love of learning in kids. And he, his antics and his, um, his uh, subverting the rules allowed him to do that. Um, so I didn't mind that. Plus, I think that the, the elite boarding schools always bugged me anyway. So, <laughs> so I was a level in that setting made, made a lot of sense to me. So then I'm like, dude, go to a school where like you're not blowing everything up to do your thing. You know, it's you know, um, uh, another movie we haven't touched. I think you know, people of a certain age, like our age, couldn't avoid was like Lean on Me with yeah. Morgan Freeman as like Joe Clark waving the bat, and it's funny because it's like one of those movies that like i feel like the adrenaline rush when you're supposed to even though i'm thinking what a profoundly stupid movie this is and what <laughs> and what a mindless vision that the whole thing is 100 days to get our test scores over this point it's like that's that's the learning goal here like i, I like i like morgan freeman at the beginning of the movie when he believed yeah. in something much right. more than I do when he's turned into a superhero in the second half of the movie. By the test scores. And the sad thing, I've been to Eastside High in, in Patterson, New Jersey, where it's filmed. And that school is a mess. That school is in receivership. It's so sad because, you know, the film doesn't help you understand. It, it gives you inkling that poverty is an issue here, that drugs in the community is an issue here. But the, the, the message becomes, if you walk through the hall with a baseball bat, you can inspire everybody and turn the school around and get high test scores. And so um, that part really always troubled me about the film, despite the feel-good message. And the thing is, it's Morgan Freeman. They have, like, guns and roses over the initial, like, the school's going to hell. Right. And uh, they, there's that scene where he's got the little fat kid up on the roof. Right? And, and he's like, and he's, it makes like he's going to throw the kid off. And the kid's like fighting him. He's like, now you want to live. He's like, you know, drugs is just a way to kill yourself. If you're going to kill yourself, kill yourself expeditiously. Right. And like, I mean, it's funny because you're like, again, I mean, the, the, the black humor of the whole thing. Is it like, yeah. they're like. Yeah. yeah. Anybody who works in school says he would have been written up. <laughs> he would have been sued. <laughs> he would have right. lost his job. <laughs> and, probably, and probably appropriately so. Like, exactly. Uh, like, much as like, I'm looking for a talking straight to kids. I, I don't know that that's a great tactic. Right. You know, I, one other movie I just would want to mention was, they're probably my favorite school movie all time. You, you know, you mentioned Stan Over. Uh, for me, it's uh, Days to Confuse. 
uh, this Linklater movie about the last day of school in the mid to late seventies in this small Texas town. Uh, a bunch of stars like Matt McConaughey and those guys got their stuff. But there's just something talk about like just the humor and like the 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 the, 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 the like frustrating, sad, traumatizing reality of like all all the different all the different places you sit in the spectrum of like middle school and high school yeah. in an era that feels real different from like an online kind of digital kind of politicized world today. You know, always a movie I'm interested in kind of just sitting down and revisiting. Well, this has been uh, fun. Good, a good diversion from all the uh, negative news out there that's happening is uh, talk about, I think that's why so many um, Americans turn to entertainment or diversion so they can stop paying attention to the crazy news in this country. Well, you know, we're recording this uh, during the course of the January 6th hearings, yeah. as we were chatting about before. And, you know, it, it, one, of, one of the things we're talking about was cultural messages matter. And, I mean, you know, when a nation's youth are seeing, like, what are they seeing play out on the big stage, it matters a lot. Yeah, no, I was driving my uh, niece to the airport as we were listening to the hearings, and I started saying, do you understand what's going on? And we started processing together. And um, I just hope that parents, teachers who are listening to the hearings are spending time with kids, tell them to understand what's going on because democracy can't survive if we take up arms and violence uh, when we don't get our way. Uh, this is again, part of the reason why this activity between you and I has been important because you know, we're demonstrating we can talk about things, we can disagree, we can, um, we can engage in debate, that's healthy for American democracy. And I hope others will be inspired to do more of it. Yeah, beautifully said. Hey, have a terrific summer, my friend. You too, Rick. Great talking to you. And goodbye to Tracy Shira, our producer, who's been so excellent for us. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah, thanks a lot, Trace. The two of us have much more to say, but uh, we're out of time. If you're interested in hearing more, Check out our book, A Search for Common Ground, conversations about the toughest questions in K-12 education. Thanks for listening to Common Ground, conversations on schooling, and thanks to our producers, Tracy Shearer and Wesley Armstrong. You can subscribe to Common Ground on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a review, and feel free to let us know what topics you'd like us to discuss by sending an email to podcasts at AEI.org. Thanks for joining. Until next time. Take care, bud. Take care, bud.